0: On Monday, August 6, 1945, Captain William S. Parsons dropped a bomb on Hiroshima, Japan. In an instant, 70% of the buildings of that vast metropolis were destroyed. 80,000 people lost their lives. Now, whether or not we agree with uh, what the United States did in dropping a bomb on Japan, we have to be awestruck by the power of that bomb. But let me ask you a question. Where did that power come from? Was it Captain Parsons' power? No. Captain Parsons was a regular human being, just like you and I. He did not have that power in himself. He didn't even make the bomb. He didn't build the airplane that flew the bomb. He didn't build the bomb site that targeted. He didn't do anything but flip a switch. He flipped a switch and that made all the difference in the world. On December 30, 2014, Veronica Rutledge's two-year-old son pulled a gun out of her purse and shot and killed her. Veronica was a research scientist. Her baby could barely walk. How is this possible? She was bigger, smarter, stronger, and yet her two-year-old baby killed her simply by pulling a trigger Guns are sometimes called the great equalizers because the power that they wield is far greater than the power of the one who wields them. The baby couldn't do much, but he could pull a trigger. In the temporal realm, this destruction, violence caused by weapons is deplorable and tragic. And I personally don't have weapons. I don't want weapons in the temporal realm. I don't want anything to do with weapons. But in the spiritual realm, I want the greatest and latest, fantastic, most powerful weapons available. In the fight of the Christian life, I want God to be the atomic bomb in my life. I know that I am not strong enough to fight the devil. I am not strong enough to fight sin. I'm not even strong enough to fight myself. I know that I can't create the weapon. I can't make the ammunition. I know that only God can do it. But that's the good news. God is the atomic bomb in our lives. God is that awesome power. But you and I still have to flip the switch. Otherwise, that awesome power is not going to be useful. Only God can do it. Only you and I can let him. Only you and I can flip the switch. Only you and I can let God in to fight self in you and I. We have to surrender. It's the only way. He is willing and able to work in us both to will and to do, but we have to flip the switch. The good news is that as the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Isn't that incredible? You and I can say with Paul, we can say, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. That's our key phrase this evening. Let's say it together. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Surrender is drowning in the will of the Almighty. How do we do that? Well, conceptually, it's quite easy. We just ask God because only he can do it. The problem comes that when we ask God, we have to really, really mean it. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And that can be very difficult. In fact, choosing to let God surrender us can be the most excruciating decision we will ever have to make. Self is entwined around every fiber of our being. We, by nature, enjoy selfish choices. We are attracted to selfish ways. We are, by nature, addicted to self and selfishness. Surrender is drowning in the will of the Almighty. And like anyone who's drowning, we naturally fight that. We cough and gasp and gurgle and sputter and say, Lord, stop, and he will. But we have to let him. We have to let him finish the process, to let him drown us so thoroughly in his will that there's not one bubble of self-will in us. Self is a demon that cannot come out easily And that's why we are told the warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God is not an easy attainment. And yet it is our privilege and our duty to be perfect overcomers here. Only God can do it, but only you and I can let him. Only you and I can can flip the switch that triggers the atomic bomb of the power of God in our lives. We cannot surrender ourselves to God. We're not strong enough to do that, but we can cooperate with him. By the power of choice that he has given us, we can cooperate with God in the surrender process. No outward observances can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of self, but no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. It took me over 30 decades to learn surrender. 30 years of my life after my baptism, not recognizing God's power and my need to surrender wholly to him. Many in this room today may be already surrendered. This may not be something that you are still struggling with, but there are others who still struggle like me over all those many years with this, how can I surrender myself wholeheartedly, unreservedly to God? (coughs) And even if we are surrendered, my friends, your job and my job is to teach surrender to others. Let others know about Jesus and his power and how we can let him be the atomic bomb in our lives and give them practical information on how they can do that. And that's what we're going to share this morning. We can collaborate with God. And to do that, we have what's called a surrender toolbox. And we're gonna look at seven practical tools that can help us to collaborate with God in the surrender process. The first one is repent. Now that might sound easy and it might be taken for granted sometimes, but repentance is a lot harder than it seems sometimes. Repentance is a recognizing of our sinful condition and turning away from that sinful condition with revulsion. You know, when John the Baptist was here on this earth, do you know the message that, the primary message that he was teaching? The Bible says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance was their great need in the time of John the Baptist. And guess what? When John the Baptist was put in prison and Jesus came on the scene and started preaching, do you know what Jesus was preaching? The Bible records that after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is the beginning of the whole surrender process. It is the beginning of the Christian life. Jesus told a a powerful story once about two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. This is a guy who was righteous in his own eyes and did not repent or feel his need to repent. But right next to him was another man, the tax collector. Standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. My friends, that is how each one of us needs to be. We need to recognize our sinful condition and we need to be repulsed by it and wanna turn away from it. So repentance is recognizing our sorrow and turning away from it. There was once a um, little girl who was being put to bed by her mom. And uh, as she was getting into bed, she said to her mom, we don't have to pray tonight, do we? And her mom said, why wouldn't you wanna pray? Well, I don't mind praying so much, but do we have to ask forgiveness? And her mom was saying, Why don't you want to ask forgiveness? And little girl said something very profound. She said, I kind of like my sins. They're rather nice. You know, this uh, honest little girl can teach us some things. A lot of times we say the same thing. We are addicted to self and to selfishness and we kind of, you know, naturally are attracted to our sins. But repentance says, Lord, I hate them. By your power in working in me, I hate these sins. I want to be free of them. I want to be repulsed by them. Like Ezekiel, we can say, then you'll remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. My friends, this is a healthy self-loathing. A loathing of ourselves from our iniquities and abominations, and that loathing of ourselves drives us to Jesus, the only one who can set off the atomic bomb in our life to transform our, lo- our life. Ellen White says, repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. We shall not renounce sin unless we see its sinfulness. Until we turn away from it in the heart, there will be no real change in the life. You know what's interesting about the church of Laodicea, the church that you and I are currently in, the seventh church of Revelation 3? What did Jesus say was one of the great needs of this Laodicean church? Do you remember what he said? He said, be zealous therefore and what? Repent. In fact, Jesus knew looking down through the ages that repentance would be one of the challenges that we as a Seventh-day Adventist end time church has. Are we willing to repent? to turn away from our sins in revulsion. So that's number one. Number two, learn about surrender. Powerful tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit if he is allowed to teach us about surrender. I remember when I first had this epiphany about how uh, in my life I had actually never come to the place where I had truly given myself wholeheartedly to God. I began to wonder about this thing called surrender that I'd heard about all my life. But although we talk a lot about surrender, we don't always say a lot about it. There were so many questions I had about surrender. What is it? What does it look like in practical terms in my life? How can I become surrendered? How can I know if I am surrendered? How can I stay surrendered? All of these questions and more. And the Bible is full of answers. In fact, I discovered as I was reading through the New Testament, something that Ellen White already knew. She says self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. Self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ. You know, The Christian life is definitely a heart-based relationship with Jesus, but there is also some head aspect to it, right? Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And what did he say? The truth will set you free. And that was literally the case in my experience as I learned more about surrender. John Bradshaw tells a story of one time when he was in the fourth grade. He had just been um, promoted past third grade because he was doing so well in school and his teachers felt that he could go right into fourth grade and so he did. He was in math class at the beginning of this fourth year and he was looking at the assignment and it looked like hieroglyphics to him. Now, for for many of uh, us, that might be a normal experience in math class, but not for John. John enjoyed school, he did well at math, he wanted to excel and he was trying to do this assignment, but he had no idea what to do with these symbols and and what they meant. But everybody else around him was working steadily away and making progress and and it frustrated John so bad that he burst out crying because he desperately wanted to do this assignment, but he didn't know how to do it. Well, his teacher came to his desk and said, oh, I'm sorry, John, we never went over this. Let me give you a quick overview. She she told him what the symbols meant and how they worked and, and in no time he was speeding along and he was able to get that assignment done in record time. Do you ever feel that way in the Christian life sometimes? You want so bad to do it. You want so bad to be passionate about Christ. You want so bad to be surrendered. You want so bad, and yet you just don't know how. You just don't know how. Does God say to us, as he said to Israel of old, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge? So yes, it is important to learn as much as we can about this thing that we call surrender, that we hear so much about, but we don't necessarily understand very well. The third tool in our toolbox is to ask relentlessly. And this makes sense, right? We know that we're, we, um, um, God can only give us some things when we ask for them. And I'm not talking about just a here and there prayer whenever we just happen to think about it. I'm talking about an angel wrestling prayer where we are focused and intentional on begging God for this wonderful gift of surrender. And why do we do that? Why do we beg God for it? Why do we, uh, like like Jacob on that uh, river bank, why do we wrestle with God? We are told that prayer is heaven's ordained means of success in the conflict with sin and the development of Christian character. The divine influences that come in answer to the prayer of faith will accomplish in the soul of the suppliant all for which he pleads. Do we plead with God in order to convince him to help us surrender? Is that why we're doing it? Do we have to plead with him in order to convince him to do it? No, no, in fact, the prayer is for our benefit. The more that we plead with God for something, the more we want it until we finally want it enough that we're willing to let God do it. And that's when the miracles begin to happen So, repent. Ask God to help you to be repulsed by your sins. Learn about surrender, learn as much as you can. Read the New Testament, and for each passage, ask yourself, what does this passage tell me about what surrender is and how it works in practical terms? Because self-surrender is the substance of the teachings of Christ, and then ask relentlessly. Keep on pleading with God until he gives it to us, because my friends, that is a prayer that he will answer. The fourth, tool in our toolbox is to count the costs. Count the costs. Now that simply means looking at your life and understanding the consequences of surrender. In other words, it's a very practical exercise. You say, hey, if I were really truly going to give God all my choices in every area of my life all the time, what would that look like? and you go through your day on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and your afternoons and your mornings and your evenings, and you say, what would my time look like? What would my money look like? What would I do with my choices? What would my diet look like? And it's, it's, it goes through and it kind of tries to get an idea of the consequences of giving ourselves fully to God in every uh, aspect. And that's an important exercise. When, when we are on the edge of surrender, Jesus comes to us and he proposes marriage. And we joyfully say yes but we're not ready to be going to the altar quite yet because we have to think about this. What are we actually committing to? Are we ready to get into this relationship until eternity do us part? Are we willing to live that kind of life? And so that's what counting the consequences is all about, asking the hard questions. This kind of counting the consequences is not best done during an emotional high. In fact, its best time to surrender is when we are stone cold sober emotionally And we know what we're getting into. We've counted the costs. Jesus tells two powerful illustrations about counting the costs. He says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And then he goes right into the second illustration. He says, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to counter the one coming against him with 20,000? or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. We're all familiar, I think, pretty much with these two powerful illustrations about counting the costs. But do you know the context that these illustrations were given in? It's, It's fascinating. The verse just before the tower counting cost illustration is this one. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And the very next verse after the army illustration, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. In other words, Jesus told these two powerful illustrations sandwiched between two of the most powerful surrender passages in all scripture. Jesus was saying, you must surrender and you have to count the costs. Counting the costs is part of the process. Paul counted the cost of surrender, and this is his report. He said, but whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That's counting the costs, looking at your life and saying, hey, what would my life look like if I really gave God all my choices in every area of my life all the time. So repent, learn about surrender, ask relentlessly, count the cost. And the fifth tool in our toolbox is be willing to be made willing. You know, we have been given the power of choice and it's a great power, but it's not powerful enough to surrender ourselves. We are not powerful enough to surrender ourselves, but we can use that power of choice to give God permission to do it for us, right? To flip the switch. We can say, Lord, I I know that I need to surrender my life wholly to you, and I want to, but in a lot of ways, I just don't see it happening. I mean, there's so many choices that I wanna hold on to, and it's so difficult for me to give them up. But Lord, and this is what we can say with our power of choice, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. I'm willing for you to work in me to make me willing to surrender. And if we can't say that, we back up a step and say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing to be made willing to be made willing whatever it takes. That is a prayer that God will answer. And by our power of choice, we can pray that prayer. A teacher once told a story about the rich man and Lazarus from the Bible. And um, after she told the parable, she asked her, uh, her um, students, which one of these would you be? Would you rather be, the rich man or Lazarus? And uh, one little boy popped up. I would like to be um, the rich man when I live and Lazarus when I die, <laughs> right? We laugh at that. But you know what? God has called you and I right now, while we are alive, to commit to the Lazarus life, to fully embrace the Lazarus life. <clears throat> I once uh, knew a man who was learning about surrender. And as he was studying about surrender, he was becoming more and more convicted that this is what he desperately needed. He had, he had missed out on this his whole life. And he got so excited about it. He said, Mike, this is what I need, this is it. But a couple of weeks later, he sent me an email. He says, Mike, I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's too much to give up. The good news is God finally did get through to that guy. God finally did get him to the place where he was willing and able to give God all of his choices. And that's something that God can do in each one of our lives as well. He is the atomic bomb just waiting to go off to get us to that place. Because when the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. It is God who's at work in you and I both to what? Will and to what? Do. We just have to let him. We just have to ask him, trip the trigger. So, repent, learn about surrender, ask relentlessly, count the costs, be willing to be made willing. And the sixth tool is embrace change. My friends, if you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, it's going to involve some radical changes. In fact, the whole Christian life is a life of change, and change is good in that context. Change is important. The problem is we don't often like change. Change can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult for us, but I've got bad news for you. There is change ahead. In the Christian life or out of the Christian life, there's change ahead. But especially as we, as we want to follow Jesus, we wanna become more like him, the Christian life is one of a lot of change. And you know, i tell you who does not like change, and that is computer programmers. And I can tell you that by personal experience. When we go to a client, we want to be able to get from him or her the exact specification of the project we're working on. And then we wanna go away, and we wanna work on that project until it's all done, and we wanna come back and say, here, enjoy. But that's not how it happens in real life. In fact, in real life, a couple of weeks later, the client will come back to you and say, you know, I've been thinking about this a little bit and I think it would be better if we did this instead and maybe if we didn't do this. And then a couple weeks later, the, the client comes back and says, you know, the government has changed the regulations and now we have to do things differently. So there's a whole bunch of change in the software development process. So much so, in fact, that the software development world has um, had to create a new project management paradigm and it's called Agile agile programming, agile project management. And the main theme of this agile project management is embracing change. We realize that, okay, change is gonna happen. Change can be good. If we can embrace it and make it part of the development process, we can uh, make our projects more effective. My friends, as Christians, you and I need to be agile as well. You and I need to be able to embrace change because change is gonna happen. And we even have a name for this change. It's called sanctification. Yes, and you know, sometimes I get the impression that we think that sanctification happens almost by osmosis, you know? You go to bed one night and in the morning, you wake up, you're a better person. But that's not how sanctification happens. It is a process of hard, stern battles with self, where God continually pushes us, continually teaches us, continually shows us new ways, and it's it's a process of Sometimes radical change throughout our Christian experience. I once saw a cartoon that had two panels on it, and on the top panel, there was this guy at a podium talking to a a large group of people, and he says, Who wants change? And everybody was waving their hands, and we want change. And then in the bottom panel, he says, Who wants to change? And everybody was just looking at their feet and shuffling and you know everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. And that's how it is sometimes in the Christian life as well. <clears throat> so let God give you a revulsion for sin that drives you to surrender. Learn about what surrender is and how it works and ask God and relentlessly, plead with him to make you both willing and able to surrender your life holy to him. Count the cost, look at your choices, look at what it would mean to give yourself holy to him. Be willing to be made willing, use your power of choice to say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. He can do that, he can answer that prayer and realize that change is gonna happen and sometimes radical change, but embrace it. Realizing that it's important, that it's good, and that by God's grace, it can happen. The seventh tool we're gonna look at tonight is focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Please don't forget that surrender is about Jesus. Who are we surrendering to? It's Jesus. Why are we surrendering to Jesus? So that he can be almighty God in us. Why are we surrendering? What is surrender? It's all about Jesus. So don't miss the forest for the trees. We need to be like John, the beloved disciple. He beheld the tenderness and forbearance of Jesus and heard his lessons of humility and patience. Day by day, his heart was drawn out to Christ until he lost sight of self in love for his master. That's where each one of us needs to be. Focusing on Jesus until we lose sight of self in love for Jesus. Do we have time for Jesus in our life today? Do we, each one of us, each day, take focused time to be with Jesus? Quantity time and quality time. Undistracted time. Professor Lewis Swift, who was the director of Warner uh, Observatory in Rochester, New York, had a friend who was going blind and he wanted to show his friend a star before he went blind. And so he took him out into an alleyway with his telescope and he pointed his telescope at the, most, uh, the brightest star in the sky that night. And he said to his friend, can you see it? And the guy says, no, I can't see it. At that moment, Lewis uh, recognized that there was a little light on in the alley. And so he went and turned it off. And as soon as he turned it off, his friend says, I see it, I see it. Professor Swift realized something that we need to, to also realize, and that is distractions can keep us from seeing the son of righteousness. Distractions have to be managed. We have to find a way and a place to intentionally spend time with Jesus, where we know that we can spend quantity and quality time with him without being distracted. And that's something that by God's grace, he can work in us. So. Here we go, this is not a complete list, but these are some ways that we can collaborate with God, some practical things that we can do to collaborate with God in the surrender process. Ask God to give you that revulsion for sin. Ask Him to teach you about surrender, how it works. Ask Him to give you that surrender, no matter what it takes. Lord, do whatever it takes to surrender me wholly to you, unreservedly, unresistingly, unrelentingly, and irretrievably. Count the costs. Look at your life and look at your choices and say, am I willing to give up that choice? Am I willing to give God that choice? Am I willing to give God that choice? Am I willing to give God all my choices? Be willing to be made willing. Use your power of choice to say, Lord, I choose to be made willing. By your grace, you can do that. Embrace change, recognizing that change is gonna happen. And sometimes in the Christian life, the the surrendered life, it can be radical change, but it's good. It's important, it's useful. It's God's way of sanctifying us. And then, of course, Keep your focus on Jesus. Recognize that surrender is about Jesus, about giving yourself to Him, dying in the arms of Jesus so that He can be the powerful God that He wants to be in you and I. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Surrender is drowning in the will of the Almighty. The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self Surrendering all to the will of God is not an easy attainment, and yet it is our privilege and our duty to be a perfect overcomer here. Only God can do it. Only you and I can pull the trigger. Only God can bring us to the place where we are truly willing and able to give ourselves to him wholeheartedly, unreservedly, unresistingly, not holding anything back. Only God can do that. He is the atomic bomb that is going to destroy self in your life and mine, but we have to pull the trigger. And we can do that by cooperating with him, pleading with him to work this great work in us. My friends, we can't surrender ourselves, but God can. He is the atomic bomb ready and waiting to go off to destroy self in our life. And by God's grace, we can let him. By our power of choice, we can let him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of surrendering our lives to you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of letting you do everything you want to do in and through us. Thank you for the privilege, Heavenly Father, of giving you every one of our choices, no matter how hard it is. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that it's your power that's going to accomplish that. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can can let you do it, that we can invite you to explode in our life, to destroy self, and to bring us to the place where we are wholly drowned in your will. We pray for these things, we thank you for them, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse,